All right, our verse for this week, memory verse, is 1 Corinthians 13.11. Let's go ahead and say this together. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Uh, I believe that's all uh, that I need to share at this time. So if our ushers will come, we will receive our tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. Now, I'm going to have to be very subdued in my speaking today because I'm still having complications from the tooth extraction. Uh, It did perforate into the sinus area, and if I get very passionate about my speaking... It is complicated. It's not good. We'll put it that way. Uh, but uh, I will. We'll see how we can get by this morning. Uh, all right. Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter sixteen. Luke chapter sixteen. Uh, you know, I, the, this is difficult Sundays for me. Uh, I'm so excited to be in the house of the Lord. A little bit of snow doesn't bother me, and I want to be around to help and stuff and and singing songs. I just am unable to sing right now. I love to sing and great hymns. But you know what? Uh, Our God is still good. It's good to be here. And uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. I've asked Brother Will to to stay up here and read the text to help me through this with uh, the challenge. But before he reads, uh, we'll be reading Luke 16, 1 through 17. But I want to give a little bit of setting to this passage. This is a continuation from Luke chapter 14 as we have been studying. It was uh, there that the Lord was invited in to have a meal on the Sabbath day with some Pharisees. And uh, it was one of those entrapments that failed. They had a man very sick with dropsy and they had him right there where the Lord would see him. And they were going to see, would he heal this man on the Sabbath day or not? And of course he did. And then the lessons began from there, and the exposures began from there. And so Luke 14, 15, and 16, it's all within that setting that we're talking about. And uh, what, what happens was, he exposed that the Pharisees had wrong values. This is a, a problem today. You see, they had no problem with, uh, on the Sabbath day, going and pulling one of their animals out of the ditch or taking care of one of their animals on the Sabbath day that was in, in dire straits. But they had a problem with healing a man on the Sabbath day. Now, isn't that all backwards? But our culture has everything backwards on some of this, too. They have no problem with killing, murdering the unborn, but yet they cry foul if somebody abuses an animal. Now, I'm not into abusing animals. That's not right. But isn't that upside down? The values are wrong. Uh, 
And so he dealt with their values of caring for people. In chapter 15, he dealt with the values of eternity, souls being saved. He dealt with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And all of this was in uh, retrospect of the uh, publicans and sinners that he was accused of reaching out to and even sitting down and eating with them. They were all concerned about themselves and they cared not a lick about the lost. And it didn't make any difference who the lost was. They really did not care a lick about them. And so there was a misplaced value. Now we come into chapter 16, and we have a misplaced value about finances. And uh, this is an ode to the scoundrel. This guy that we're going to be reading about and the lessons that follow, this guy was a scoundrel. And uh, understand this is taught in light of the Pharisees listening while he's teaching his disciples in their presence. And it has everything to do with their value of money. And so in these three chapters, we're seeing that they got a real problem with their values. And God's dealing with it. And so with that understanding, we're going to get some crucial lessons. Brother Will, would you come and read uh, Luke 16, 1 through 17, and then lead us in prayer. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 16, verse 1, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he, that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how, must, and how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fell, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Excuse me. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. 
but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, as we open up our hearts and our our lives to you, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, through the preaching of your word. We pray that you would uphold Pastor Miller's voice, Lord God, give him strength of voice and give him uh, utterance to speak, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we pray that through this service, Lord, we would be molded into the image of Christ. And if there's anybody here that needs to be saved, draw them to salvation through this passage, Lord God, and convict them. And Lord, convict us all of whatever in our life we need to change and help us with humility, Lord, to seek to be molded into the image of Christ. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Ever since sin entered the heart of man... The nature of humanity really hasn't changed. You, you look at the corruption that was half a decade ago, a decade ago, a century ago, a millennia ago, still exists today. The, the problems that we have in culture and in America, in, in our government, in, in personal relationships, they're really not any different than they were even two, 3,000 years ago. Because the nature of man has not changed. Which helps us to understand why the Bible is so relevant to us today. Now, maybe our technology has changed. And I guess the word is not maybe, it has. From, from starting out with writing things with a quill on a, on a scroll to having uh, uh, computers and, and uh, uh, artificial intelligence and all of that that can happen today, it's still rooted in, in the nature of man and how it's used. And the Bible deals with those issues. It doesn't make any difference whether you were living in the first century when Christ was teaching this or today. These issues were issues then and spiritual problems then, just like they are today. That's why it says in the context that uh, the law and the prophets, he was talking about his word, it'll never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away before the word of God will pass away. And so, and, not, and that's not simply saying that we're going to preserve its record. But its principles and truth and application to life never get old. They're timeless because they are eternal. Now, in this passage, these first few verses, the Lord is talking about a scoundrel. A certain man. And I, because it does not call it, because Jesus does not say, uh, I will teach a parable. The text does not say, and he taught this parable. Most believe that this was a real life incident that had happened that people present would have known either the master that he's talking about or the steward that he was talking about or both. 
And so he was talking about something that had actually happened. And this guy certainly could represent how people operate in business today. They're scandals today. One particular preacher of yesteryear said he, while he was pastoring, he attempted to do a series on the rascals of Revelation. The bad guys of the Bible, the thieves of theology, the crooks of Christianity, and the scoundrels of Scripture. You see, the Bible deals with a lot of characters like that, and he said it became a rather lengthy series. But do you know whether it was the crook or the scoundrel or the bad guy, the rascal? It's relevant because all of that happens today. And so what we're looking at is principles and truths that he taught his disciples in the presence of the scoundrels, which was the Pharisees, to help understand biblical values and how they impact your thinking and your living, and your relationships. And so we see all of that here. Now, I, I think this is the tragedy of this text. Because in here, the emphasis is not upon the scoundrels in the world at large. The lesson is about a scoundrel within the house of God. Because he's talking about the Pharisees. We expect those in the world at large to act like the lost people and do what lost people do. We may get hurt. We may not like it. We may be disappointed. But if we're honest, we can expect that out of the world. But when somebody professes to be a Christian, and not only a Christian, but to be a spiritual leader, especially like these Pharisees, rightfully so, we have a higher expectation. And so the lesson here, he is teaching his disciples who would become the spiritual leaders of the church era to understand having right values and right motives. And so as we look at this lesson, understand that this is not a lesson of comparison. Since this is how this has happened, then by comparison, this is how you would act. This is a lesson of contrast. When he said that uh, in, in the verse for uh, the children of this generation are in, in this of the world are in their generation wiser than the children of light, he's not criticizing godliness. He said they're wiser in this generation's eyes not in God's eyes. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. And so uh, we, we see that uh, it is a contrast. This is not how we are supposed to act. We're supposed to recognize this and not behave this way. Now, let me give an overview of this particular account that sets the stage for the lessons that Jesus is teaching. So he turns to his disciples, as it says there in verse 1, and says there was a certain rich man. And he was a steward, or which had a steward. And so somebody had an incredible amount of wealth. 
so much wealth that he could pay somebody else to manage it. And and that was the steward. Now understand, and I think you know this, a steward is somebody that takes care of the possessions of another person and you're going to have to get an account of how you manage those possessions. And so this is what we're talking about. And, And along the way, I don't know how long he'd been a steward for this man, But along the way, somebody come along and accused him of wasting the rich man's goods. Now, if you want to get a rich man angry at you, waste his goods. They like their wealth. They like their goods. And uh, now, it's interesting. That word wasted is the same word that is used in chapter 15 and verse 13 of the prodigal son when he went to a faraway country and wasted his substance. Now the difference here is the prodigal son wasted that which belonged to him. In this particular incident, this steward was wasting something that did not belong to him but to another Boy, we could have a great spiritual lesson there, couldn't we, in our stewardship with God. But uh, he was accused of wasting his goods. And so the uh, master or the Lord uh, of all of this, the rich man, calls him in. And he says, how is it I hear this of thee? Give an account. And thou may no longer be a steward. He's done with it. He's, he's going to be a part of that cancel uh, Uh, movement and cancel his job I guess and and so he gets out and he says now I got to put I I don't know how that discussion went but he must have said okay give me a little bit of time I got to put this accounting together so I can give you an accounting I got to change the books I don't know what he was thinking but obviously it was not good so he goes out and he goes to the first person and and uh, and before he gets there he says I don't want to beg well maybe he didn't even think about Working, He says, and I can't dig. I don't know why he couldn't, but he wouldn't. And so he conspires this plan. It's been my observation that if men who would spend all of the energy conspiring and doing bad things, if they would put all of that into doing something good, they would be some of the most successful people in the world. But, but here we have this man, he says, okay, uh, I, I don't want to have to be an honest living man. <laughs> and so here's what I'm going to do. So he goes to the first one and he says, all right, uh, you you have a hundred measures of oil. He said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And so his whole agenda was to go to all of the creditors that he managed for the rich man and give him a great break with the understanding that when this is all said and done, they'll receive him and they'll be his friend and, and uh, they'll give him a uh, a cut of the thing. Maybe he's going for all of the kickbacks. I don't know what all's happening here. But obviously he anticipated living substance to come out of this. And he, he viewed each one. Not everybody got the same percentage of a discount. 
He, he viewed which one he needed to do what with and where the tolerance level would be and what he could get away with. You know, some criminals are just absolutely stupid, but some of the white-collar criminals, you know, they're pretty crafty in what they do. And, and that's what he did. So he goes through all of that. And uh, understand what he's doing. He's working by the laws of the world. Not the laws of God, but the laws of the world. You know the first number one law of the world? Self-preservation. That's what he's after here. The number two law? Dog eat dog. (laughs) And he was practicing those two laws and what he was doing here. And so he goes through all of this. And then by the time, either before he gets done or gets done, the rich man discovers what he's done. And, And the rich man commends him for what he did. Now, probably grudgingly commended him because maybe that's how he got his wealth. We don't know. He probably, he he didn't condemn him. If he'd have been a godly man, he would have condemned him. He didn't condemn him. So the rich man probably was not the most honorable man either. And you know what? Isn't that the way the world works? As a believer and as a child of God, when we walk righteously, when we live godly lives, the world hates us and persecutes you. But the world takes care of their own too. And you look in culture today. Do you know why some of the corruption is not being prosecuted today? Because those who should be prosecuting are just as corrupt And so they call good evil and evil good, and they just turn another eye. And and this is what's going on right here. And and when the the rich man commended him for what he did, he said, wow, you're smart. You know how to make a living. I can keep on going, and I'll make more money, but you got it figured out. Don't interpret this that God is commending corruption. Sometimes there is figurative interpretation of the parables, but I think it's very clear, and it never violates biblical truth. This is not God the Father commending a corrupt servant for what he's doing. It's simply saying that this servant, or this master, who may very well have been a real person, thought, wow, I'd have never thought about doing that, but you're smart, you, and, and I'm going to let you get away with it. He was commending him for functioning well in the way of the world. And so here we have a serious problem. And I want us to consider the lessons that the Lord was teaching from this illustration. <coughs> The greater emphasis on this lesson is on financial values and the problem with finances. In verse 9, he says, And I say unto you, now this is the Lord speaking to his disciples. 
make to yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now, he's not endorsing or recommending that you be consumed with a wrong value. But he's saying when people go down this road, you just as well go ahead and make yourself friends there. Because there are eternal consequences that's going to go with it. But it still won't be good. And he calls it mammon of unrighteousness. He's talking about the problem of greed in money. That's one of the major sins and crimes of humanity. It's within a package of them, but it is one of the major ones. That is uh, greed and lust for money. I want you to look at some verses about finances. And again, this is an application to what the Pharisees were doing, who were supposed to be the spiritual leadership of Israel. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 3. Here we have the qualifications of a pastor. In verse 3 it says, Not given to wine, nor striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Here there's a warning against lusting after filthy lucre. Now, now money in and of itself is not the problem. It takes money to pay bills. It takes money to do the work of the ministry. We have done over two and a quarter million uh, John Romans in 20 languages through our Seedline uh, Assembling Ministry since 2003. That takes a lot of money. It doesn't happen without money. There's two extremes that happen with money, and particularly within the circle of God's people. There is that extreme to where there is greed and lust after it. And this is what he's warning against. But then there's the other extreme of thinking you can either do without or let's have a very spiritual pastor and let him sacrifice. We're not going to pay him. We're not going to compensate him. You see, God, God ordained these very Pharisees that went down the wrong road financially. Under the law that they were dealing with, God ordained that the, the priests and the leaderships were to be compensated so they could have a reasonable living and retirement. God set that whole program up in the Old Testament for the, for the priests. But the problem was money became their passion. And they, they corrupted the whole thing. So here's another one. Uh, verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. You will find this stated in Titus, spoken of in 1 Peter 5.2. Then let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10. 
where it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which will, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Remember this, that when you've got a wrong value of money, you're going to have a wrong value on doctrine. They erred from the faith. We'll come back to that in just a couple of moments. But here we see this is a serious problem with with the Pharisees who he's talking about. Because in verse 14, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. They mocked him for dealing with this problem. And so we understand that the whole lesson centers around a wrong value versus a right value of finances. Lesson number one is the friendship of misery. Misery likes company. In verse 9, he says, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. Because God's not going to receive them. They're, They're wicked. And when life's over, and without Christ... They're going to a disastrous eternal consequence. And so what we understand here is that there are eternal consequences. (coughs) Pleasures and camaraderie of this world will have eternal consequences. And that's what he's telling them right here. Verse 19 and following Excuse me. Where he deals with the rich man and Lazarus from hell. Lazarus from, or the rich man from hell. I apologize when I can't just let it go. It doesn't get good. But he he deals with the eternal consequences there. And so we need to understand that our values on finances will have final consequences, eternal consequences. And it'll be comrades of catastrophe. Lesson number two. Faithfulness is not a matter of print. Or let me start over. I'm going to have to get a cough drop in here. I'm sorry. Faithfulness is a matter of principle and character, not a matter of volume. Verse 10, he says, He that is faithful in that which is least, also in much. And he that is unjust in least, in the least, is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? 
And so here, as I said, is the faithfulness is a matter of principle and character, not a volume. How many times have I heard somebody make comment, well, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give 10% of it to the church. In all probability, they don't tithe what they have now. By way of example, the widow that gave her might, she didn't wait till she had riches to give. She gave out of her poverty. You will find the Philippian church did not give out of their wealth. They gave out of their poverty. And they gave of themselves first. If you'll not be a good steward of your meager holdings then you probably will not be a good steward of what you might get later. But I think this is, and that's dealing with finances, but this takes it even to a deeper level of dealing with finances. It talks about if you're not going to be a good steward with mammon, and it's talking about money and wealth. If you're not going to be a good steward there, then why should God entrust you with true riches? I would understand true riches has to do with biblical truth and biblical things. And and right here, he is dealing with the Pharisees and their leadership. He's addressing the apostles, the uh, disciples who will become the apostles and the leaders of the church era. And I think one of the things he is driving home right here is this. If you're in the work of God, if you can't be trusted with finances, then you can't be trusted with the things of God. And I believe this wholeheartedly. As the pastor and the overseer of the church, I have a certain level of administrative responsibility and oversight, including finances. And whatever level I have there and whatever touch I have, if the church can't trust me there, then it's time to get me out of the pulpit. Because you can't trust what I'm going to say here. A lot of times I will have people either hand a check so that because they wouldn't be here on Sunday so that it can go into the offering, can get into the church. But I've also had people hand me cash in coinage. I don't care whether it is a penny, a nickel, or a thousand dollars that is handed to me. This hasn't happened in, in several years, but, but I had somebody come in and said, here's my tithe, and handed me $2,000 in cash and said, would you put that in the church for me? And it's like, whoa. One of the things that I have a policy of is my secretary initials every one of those envelopes that comes through my, my hands. So there's a double accounting for whatever happens here. Now, a man may be honest enough not to take the 2000 but you know a quarter is given to him, you and you just stick it in your pocket and forget to put it in. If you're going to steal a quarter, you'll steal any other amount. And I feel just as big a responsibility 
with a penny or a nickel that is handed to me as any other amount greater than that. Because it still comes, it's not volume. It's principle. It's character. If God can't trust me to be a steward of a penny to get it from one person into the church's offering plate, he can't trust me right here. And this is not only for preachers. This applies to every Christian, I believe. But especially to preachers. And it's been my observation over the years in the ministry that when preachers have gone awry in their stewardship of finances, in finding ways to, to fleece the flock and milk them for everything they can get and then abuse the finances, it has historically been they abuse the Word of God too. That's been my observation. On one level or another level, and I'm, I would understand that in this particular lesson that he is teaching right here, whether you as an individual believer have a stewardship of the finances that God has entrusted you, an officer of the church, the pastor, maybe everybody trusts you, but if God can't trust you, because he knows what nobody else knows. Then you're really not trustworthy with the riches of God's word. And I think that is a, an important lesson that we need to draw from this one. The next lesson is in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is a focus with a single mind. First, we had uh, friendship of misery. Faithfulness is a matter of principle and character. This is a focus with a single mind. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. made this statement, something to this effect. No man has been so successful as the man that has come under the power of a single focus or purpose in life. You see, if you kind of want to serve God, but you kind of want to do this. And I kind of want to do this, but I kind of want to do this. I kind of want to go here, and I kind of want to go here. It's not going to work. Now, I'm not talking about uh, you can't have a, a vocation or a career. But the purpose of that vocation, the purpose of that career, is it so you can most effectively serve God. It says that if a man won't work, he ought not to eat. A man that doesn't provide for his own is worth, worse than an infidel. Yes, we have the responsibility to work and care for our own and for the work of the ministry. But what's our purpose? Are we serving mammon because of greed and, and worldly passions? Now, there's nothing wrong with being financially successful. God blessed Abraham with great financial success. God blessed different people with financial success. 
That's not the issue. The issue is what's your focus and what's your purpose? Because you cannot serve two masters. And this is in the context of finances. For the Pharisees, their ambition and greed did not match their God-given purpose. You see, Paul said, this one thing I do. He had a single purpose in serving the Lord. And this is the capstone, lesson number four in verses 15 through 17. In verse 14, the, the Pharisees derided and criticized Christ. You know, that tells you a lot about the heart. If the Lord were to come along, and if somebody else was to come along and say, Pastor, I think I see a blind side, and I, th- I think I see a failure in where you're at spiritually. Can I chat with you? I hope I would have a tender enough heart and a humble enough heart to give a hearing. We preach, we believe that we never attain sinless perfection in this life. Well, that means we must have some imperfections. And if somebody was going to share this, I hope I would allow it to be an iron sharpening iron moment in my life. But you see, the Pharisees didn't let that They mocked, they derided. They were proud of their financial attitudes. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. So then he goes on, and this is the failure of a false heart. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Wow. What a statement. What an accusation. It is a great tragedy when those in the house of God highly esteem that which God abhors. And in the process, trying to justify themselves before man, because that's all they can do, they can never justify themselves before God. And so we have what a tragedy in all of this. They had all of this that they esteemed in their values, but it was abhorred by God. Let me bring this home to you and me. For us as believers, what do you really value the most in life? What do you really value most? that which is temporal or that which is eternal? Have you learned to esteem what man esteems or what God esteems? And this truth transcends to every believer, not only pastors, but especially to pastors. And upon this, do you have a single focus in your purpose for life? Is it God's will for your life? God's value for your life. And whether great or small, are you faithful with what God has entrusted to you? You see, everybody that is a child of God, God's entrusted you with something. Talents, resources, time. 
Are you a faithful steward with that? And do you have a single focus with that? And do you grasp the eternal consequences? Because as stewards before the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we are accountable to God. And there are eternal consequences. Now, it's not a matter of whether we will be saved or not saved. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's been a point in in your life where you have had a spirit of repentance and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then that and that alone determines your eternal destiny. But as believers, we will be judged for our service and for our works. And there are eternal consequences there. The text in the heart of this is owed to a scoundrel. Don't let it be your theme song in life. But rather have God's values, God's focus, and God's purpose in your life. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, uh, what a convicting passage. The Lord never taught feel-good lessons, but truths that should affect the heart. And so, Father, I pray that as we close this service, that each heart will be affected for God in a right way. Help us, we ask, draw us closer to you, mold us more into the image of our Savior. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are... Living by faith, faith in Jesus above.
I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group, and I would like to encourage everyone to make sure they are prepared financially as the Federal Reserve continues to destroy the value of the dollar. Since the closing of the gold window in 1971, the Federal Reserve has led the way in the explosion of debt and the devaluing of your money. They openly say that they need 2% inflation, which simply means they hope to devalue your money, and they want to do this every single year, year after year. I know it's hard to understand, but the Federal Reserve believes in prosperity through debt and growth via the devaluation of your future. 
To learn more about how to protect yourself, visit us at allamericangold.com or call us at 800-951-0592 and protect yourself against the devaluing of your money. Any major disaster, especially weather-related, when the power goes out, can cause people to suddenly panic. Within hours, grocery store shelves in your area can be picked clean. Food supply lines get interrupted and food is hard to find. At that point, it's too late to do anything about it. You must survive only on the food you already have in your home or risk waiting for the government to respond while you're standing in food lines. So ask yourself, do you have enough food in your home to last for weeks or months? That's why the smart move is to secure your family's personal supply of the most reliable emergency food you can buy. Having at least four weeks' worth of food is not a luxury. It's mandatory. If you don't want you and your family to end up in this situation, go to 1360KHNC.com and click on the Patriot Supply button at the top of the page. That's 1360KHNC.com and click on the Patriot Supply button. The Tree Farm's 50 Cent Tree Sale is going on now. Choose from thousands of carry-out sized trees that are easy to handle and easy to plant. While supplies last, buy the first tree at regular price and mix or match a second tree for only 50 cents. Thousands of shade trees, flowering trees, fruit trees, evergreen trees, ornamental trees, and more. Also, huge savings on shrubs and perennials. You Come take I-25 to exit 235, then five miles west to the Tree Farm. I've learned to stand with people that are in the storm who have courage. You know, there's a man out there other than President Trump and just a few others that have really proven their mettle in the furnace. It's Mike Lindell. You're not going to get better towels, better sheets, better slippers, better beds, better hundreds of products made in America anywhere. It's ridiculous how high quality it is, how ridiculous the prices are low. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code KHNC. Hello, friends. This is Bradley Dean, show host for the Sons of Liberty. Join me on KHNC 1360 AM every weekday at 8 p.m., Saturdays at 5 to 7 p.m., and Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360 AM KHNC. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. Off-Road Automotive offers a wide range.